Welcome to the 77th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Jim Baker, author of the new paranoid conspiracy thriller, The Empty Glass. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Jim Baker, author of the new psychological thriller novel, The Empty Glass. Baker's novel was recently chosen by Oprah.com as one of the six summer thrillers that you'll tear through. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. Sure, sure. Well, if the listeners haven't heard about The Empty Glass yet, how would you describe the novel? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a paranoid conspiracy thriller about the days following the death of Marilyn Monroe and, and all that that entails. Uh, it's been rumored for many years that she, Marilyn, kept a diary uh, in which she uh, kept all kinds of secrets that very powerful people were threatened by. So it kind of hinges on the discovery of that diary on the part of a young man and what happens to him when he tries to make it public. Great. Well, at this point, Marilyn Monroe's death and everything that surrounds it, as you just mentioned, has has pretty much bookshelves of theories, nonfiction books and novels. Did that intimidate you at all when you when you had the idea and started writing The Empty Glass? It's a really good question, but actually, no, because the way that I thought of it, I mean, I didn't start with Marilyn. I started with the the young man character, the the the, the main character, Ben Fitzgerald. And what interested me about the book wasn't Marilyn per se, although obviously the novel kind of hangs on that um, idea. But what interested me was more the you know Ben's trajectory and actually he kind of starts to fall apart in the book. And so his, his sort of dissolution uh, mentally and even to a degree physically was, was what kind of interested, interested me about it. So the, the baggage of the Maryland history meant almost nothing to me. Right. And, and do you remember, you know, I know some authors, you know, don't really like the question of, you know, where do you get your ideas? But, but do you remember how you, you know, um, had the original idea or, or the impetus for the novel? I do. The interesting thing is that, and I don't want to get, I don't want to be too long-winded about this, but I, when I was, I mean, maybe 16 years old, there was a book that came out. Um, I can't remember who wrote it, uh, but it was called the. It's going to sound embarrassing, but it was the intimate sex lives of famous people. And of course, when I was 16 years old, that was a really intriguing um, <laughs> title. And I found it in a bookstore, and I bought it, and it was actually a, a really pretty good book. And there's a chapter in there on Marilyn, and in the chapter it mentioned the fact or the idea that she was rumored to have the diary that I mentioned. So filled with all kinds of secrets and the idea of a diary filled with secrets going missing just intrigued me so much more than the details supposedly of her sex life. And it was something that stuck in my head for, for decades. Um, and I kept, kind of trying to write about that, never successfully, until, as I said, I started writing about this character, Ben, and it dawned on me, or it struck me as I was writing just sort of out of nowhere, that he, that he, he was investigating something, and I thought, well, gee, what if he finds a diary, and all of a sudden... Um, I don't know if this is making sense. Mm-hmm. The whole everything I had read and and been interested about regarding Marilyn's diary just popped into my head, and I thought, gee, what if this guy? What if the diary that he's finding here was Marilyn's? 
And suddenly this idea that I'd had in my head for decades just exploded. That's great. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. And, and, and as you mentioned, you know, a few moments ago, you know, Marilyn wasn't necessarily the, the, the forefront of the, the novel. And, 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 but, but I am curious, what, what did you do in terms of researching it? You know, as you were writing, did you, did you, you know, look at a lot of that, that literature and nonfiction? Huge. Oh my God, I read almost everything. Um, but, the, but, you know, it's interesting how different writers research or not. Um, you know, I was having a conversation at a party at the, for the Edgar's Award, Edgar Awards with um, this young, terrific young novelist, Lindsay Fay, and she was saying she has to do all of her research before she begins writing. She wrote a really terrific book called Gods of Gotham that's about the origin of the NYPD, and she said she did, before she wrote a word, she just she did six months of research. I can't possibly imagine doing that because until I write, until I get like a scaffolding mm-hmm. or a skeleton in place, I don't actually know I have a book. So I actually wrote Ben's story and made all of this stuff up um, based on just very sketchy uh, recollections I had about the Maryland history. And once I actually knew that the, there were pieces in place, like a jigsaw puzzle, I went back and I read the books that I knew I had to read, which of course changed some of the structure and it changed some of the details. But I filled in the blanks and adjusted things after I knew I had something. Right, right. Well, I know that you've worked uh, for magazines in New York City for quite a while, and I know that you've published short stories as well, but what was the path to publication for you with novels and specifically The Empty Glass? Well, I've been writing novels, and this is embarrassing, and I actually thought maybe I shouldn't even tell people this, but really I've been trying to be a novelist for a good 30 years, um, working really, really, really diligently and regularly on writing. I mean, from the time I was 17 years old, I decided that's what I wanted to do, and I took it really seriously, and I've written almost every day to almost no end. I mean, you know, most people don't wait that long. Uh, but there was a point at which, first of all, I think the work that I did on my fiction paved the way for my being able to be pretty good at journalism once it, once I got into it, uh, because I don't know, there are obviously similar skills. I have a very strong sense of structure. I'm always cutting things. And that was something I kind of learned to do as I was writing fiction and it immediately translated into the journalistic work I did once those doors opened. But there was also a point at which it didn't give up on fiction because there was a point at which it became obvious to me that what I was getting out of it by doing it on a daily basis was more important to me than whatever success I was having. Um, and I had no success. So, um, but I kept at it just because it was almost, it sounds really corny, but it was almost like prayer. I'd get up in the morning and I'd get up almost every morning and I, it's almost like meditation. You know, I write, um, and I could tell you, I'm now sort of babbling, but I could tell you the specific trajectory of this book, but I don't want to see if you're going on and on. No, no, no. I'd like, to, I'd like to hear it. So tell me the specific trajectory. So I have a really terrific agent. Uh, his name is Richard Hine, and he's a very successful guy and never really needed to encourage somebody who had no track record. But I don't know, it was like six years ago, maybe more. He started reading my stuff, and you know, it's almost like a fairy tale story. It almost never happens. But he kept looking at work that I had finished and saying, this isn't working, here's why. Keep going, you know. And it was like year after year after year he did that. Finally... 
Um, I don't know. I had a sense when I was writing this book that the pieces were falling into place and not just because it's a marketable subject. I just felt like it was a stronger piece of fiction than I had ever done before. And I remember emailing a friend of mine in the middle of writing it saying, this book is going to sell. I just knew it. Um, and sure enough, when Richard, my agent, got it, he left me a message on my, he read it, and he left me a message on my, my work um, answer or voicemail saying, I have good news, I have um, nice things to say to you, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the point at which I knew he was going to represent it. And it sold almost right away to the terrific people at Blue Writer Press. Great. Well, well what not not to be too kind of you know new agey or, or or self-help but what kept you motivated over the years as you pursued writing novels well again it almost became like meta it, this again this sounds new, new agey and i really don't mean it to sound that way but it almost became i don't know therapeutic it was i think i just have a lot of you know demons for lack of a better word um and it was a way of sort of exercising them. I, when I was very young, I used to subscribe to Writer's Digest, and I remember there was a cartoon in it once. It was like two panels, and the first panel was a guy, a young guy sitting in his typewriter working, and the little thought bubble over his head was a picture of like some beautiful starlet with big breasts, and you know, obviously he's thinking that he's going to he's going to woo her through his writing that it's nonverbal. There was no language in it, but that's the essence that you got out of it. That was the first panel. And then the second panel is a shot of that same guy, obviously older, wealthy with his arm around that starlet. But the thought bubble over his head in that context is of him sitting in front of a typewriter writing. There was a point definitely in the midst of my working on stuff when I switched from thinking I'm writing because I want to make money and I want to be famous, which almost never happens anyway, but mm -hmm. maybe I was a kid. There was a point at which I realized that the point wasn't succeeding. The point was actually just the writing itself. And I, and I really believe that for any real writer that that happens at some point, it almost doesn't matter or it shouldn't happen what the outside world says or delivers. Sure. And, and I know it's still early in terms of the publication, but what has the response been thus far? Any, any, any um, interest beyond book publishing specifically? Any, any film interest? Or, or what's been the reception? Uh, well, we sold it. You know, I guess I'm learning that foreign rights is, a, is an interesting thing. Um, it, sometimes books get a ton of interest overseas. Sometimes they get no interest. Sometimes really good books get no interest. Sometimes not so good books get a ton of interest. We have sold it in three countries, two of which are my favorite. It's already published in Italy. Um, I love Italy, Spain, and Japan. Those are probably my two favorite countries, and we sold it in Italy and Japan. So I told my agent once the book sold in the States, I want to sell it in three foreign countries, so two down and one to go. We've also, oddly enough, sold it in Bulgaria. Which <laughs> I love that fact, but I don't. I sort of don't know what the market for fiction is in Bulgaria. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, other than, in terms of movies, um, in terms of movies, there's it's, it's a noir. It's noir fiction, and it's very downbeat mm -hmm. ultimately. And there's not a lot of interest in noir in Hollywood right now. In right. addition to which. In addition to which, um, the, My Week with Marilyn with Michelle Williams came right. out, and mm -hmm. she got a lot of attention for it, but the movie did not do that well. Right. And Hollywood is, you know, so it's like a pack animal kind of place, and <laughs> I just don't think the time is right at the moment for this as a movie, but I hope I'm wrong eventually. Sure. 
So I think you may have answered some of this earlier, but I wanted to ask it anyway. What, what tips or advice would you offer for aspiring writers who, who either want to publish their short stories or novels? Well, this is the oldest advice in the world. Um, but, you know, you just persistence is everything. And I really do believe you have to not. It's a very difficult market. You know, obviously people aren't. I mean, I don't know. You hear different different things from different people, but I mean, books aren't selling the way they used to. It's harder to sell them than it ever was before. But I just don't think you can think about that stuff. You can't allow yourself to get depressed. You have to be like that guy in the, the cartoon that I you know, right. told you about. If you're expecting approbation from the outside world, if the whole point is you're thinking you're going to make money or you're going to be famous, or you're going to make your mom proud, forget about it. You just have to look at it as something that is um, a process that's important because of itself. It is something unto itself. It shouldn't. You shouldn't look at it too relentlessly as a means to an end because, frankly, it may not be. But if you can just learn to love getting up every morning or going home every night and sitting down and writing and losing yourself in a world that you created but that also continues to surprise you, that's what you need to focus on. That's great advice. So what books, fiction or nonfiction, have you read lately that made an impact on you and that you would recommend? Uh, well, impact on me just as a reader? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I loved, beyond belief, Jillian Flynn's Gone Girl. It just knocked my socks off, and I literally lost sleep over it. It's one of the <laughs> best books of its kind that I've ever read. And it's... I love it because every time you think you know what's going on in it, she she changes the terms. She pulls. She's constantly pulling the rug out from underneath you. And by the ending of it, I was by ending of that book, I was literally shaking. Wow, it's so good. That's a great endorsement. <laughs> and other than that, what I've been doing is trying to do. You know, read. I really haven't read that much fiction. I um, have been doing a lot of reading of research for the, the book I'm working on next. And that, that kind of leads me into my next question. You know, if you're, if you're, you know, comfortable talking about it, what are you working on now? Um, it's well, let me, I don't want to be specific, too specific about okay. it for a number sure. of reasons that yeah. I can explain mm -hmm. later, but it is another, um, historical, uh, conspiracy story. It's taking some a factual, um, and it's actually prog it progresses. It takes place in, also in the 1960s, but a couple of years after the death of Marilyn Monroe. And, Great. Uh, it's based on fact, but again, paranoid conspiracy stuff. Good, good. Uh, and where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more? Uh, well, I, uh, there's... In, I live in New York City, and um, there's a fantastic, I just have to preface this by saying there's a fantastic team of young designers. They're twins. They're called the Brothers Mueller. They're getting a lot of attention in New York for very good reason. Um, they're brilliant. And they created an incredible website. I think it's incredible. It's beautiful. It's really fluid. It's And it's filled with really interesting information about this whole case, about the death of Marilyn Monroe. It's not constantly flogging my book. So it's legitimately a place you could go to and learn a lot about what happened to her and the people who were involved. And so the website is just like the title of my novel, Empty Glass novel.com and I'm available through that on Facebook and you can also email me if you had any desire to. Great. And I'll have a link to that website in the show notes if people want to take a look. 
Um, oh, great. Again, again, we've been speaking with Jim Baker, author of the new novel, The Empty Glass. It's available in bookstores now, and you should check it out. Jim, thanks for doing the interview. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thanks for listening to my latest podcast. If you have a chance, please leave a review of the podcast in iTunes. It only takes a moment. Until next time, read some good books and be well. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.